This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, I'm Gemma and welcome to another episode of Good Influence. This is the podcast where each week you and I meet a guest who will help us pay attention to something we should know about as well as answer some of your questions. This week we're talking about dyslexia, how being diagnosed can be a privilege, the ways that schools and workplaces can accommodate neurodiversity, and the upsides of dyslexic thinking. So joining me this week is Oninye Udaporo. Oninye is an education consultant, author, and the CEO and founder of Enrich Learning, an educational platform and tuition centre, which developed from the tutoring business she founded in her parents' living room when she was just 12 years old. She was recently awarded the Neuro-Minority Achiever of the Year Award at the Celebrating Neurodiversity Awards and spends some of her busy schedule using her own experiences of dyslexia to advocate for equity and inclusion in the workplace. We're here to talk about dyslexia, so I think it makes the most sense if we start. Could you tell us a bit about your personal experience of dyslexia? So I was diagnosed with dyslexia aged 11, which in the grand scheme of things for people in the dyslexic community is very young and it's a big privilege. I was only diagnosed with dyslexia because I went to a very good public school in West Sussex on scholarship. And so they noticed within the first three weeks of me starting secondary school that there was definitely something wrong. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is really cool. And I'm, again, so fortunate that they were able to spot that issue. Um, Or I like to call it learning difference, because I don't like all the negative terminology around learning differences, difficulty, Mm -hmm. challenge, all the other mean names that I was called because I was really bullied because of it. But I... I showed symptoms of dyslexia from about the age of three, four years old. My mum would do my homework with me or my dad would encourage me to read to him at bedtime and I just couldn't. And I have three brothers. One of them is 13 months younger than me and he was always much better academically. Mm. I was a bright child and it was obvious that, you know, I had potential to do really well. But there was this missing piece. Asking me to spell was a nightmare. Asking me to read was a nightmare. And then what I started to do is just cram everything. And so whilst my parents knew there was an issue, they didn't know where to go for help. My primary school teachers spotted an issue, but I'm from a very deprived part of North London. Mm. Nobody would give them the funding to do further investigations. So it was like, we're going to try as best as we can. We'll give her as much extra support as we can. Um, My parents paid for a lot of private tuition. And that that was my life really until I was diagnosed at 11 years old. Wow. So that's, I mean, there's obviously something there to be said about 
the differences between because as soon as you went to a different school in a different area slightly you know just slightly different situation it was entirely different for you because you had the the more kind of specialized support that you needed what does that sort of look like because if it sounds like it I mean it sounds like your primary school teachers were doing the very best that they could but what kind of different support were you able to get once you actually had the diagnosis so once I had the diagnosis, there were two main forms of support that I was giving that I think is different to what I had at primary school. At primary school, it was just like getting me to do more. And a lot of people with dyslexia or undiagnosed dyslexia will recognize what I'm saying, where everyone thinks that you just need to do more work. You just need to work harder. I was already getting up at 5.30 a.m. with my mother to do 60 word spelling tests, which weren't actually spelling tests because I was cramming every single word just so I could read properly. Mm. When I got to secondary school and the teachers realized she's not reading properly, she writes well, um, but we don't really know how because... There's a myth, I think it's a myth that dyslexic people can't write. Well, I wrote a book last year, which comes out in September this year. So um, I think (laughs) I've bucked that trend um, or myth. Um, So they weren't really sure. It was just like work harder, do more. Secondary school was specialised kind of therapies and teaching support. So I worked with a qualified special educational need coordinator and teacher and she sat with me and I learned how to speed read um which is a a different way of reading I I don't read whole words I read the beginning of a word and my brain strangely finishes it off for me Mm. um and there's a new form of reading that's come out more recently called bionic reading where the beginning of have you seen it I actually saw something about this online the other day and I thought it was so fascinating because as far as I understand that's that's kind of how our brains read anyway or like I've I've seen something online before about how you know we think we read the whole word but we actually don't but yeah the bionic reading thing I have no idea how it works I just saw some bits of the word in bold but it felt nice to read yeah so essentially I was taught how to speed read using the bionic reading method so I'm sure listeners are going to be like what's bionic reading um it is a form of reading where the words are printed out and the beginning of the word is put in bold or is stressed you know maybe it's put in italics or something mm. and your brain will focus on that beginning of the word and then finish the rest and that just takes a lot of stress and pressure off the brain and the mind um but i was effectively doing that i learned how to do it with words and then i started doing it with sentences and it just made reading much more comfortable Another support tool that I was given is when you are assessed for dyslexia, you're given a very long report, which is ironic because you can't read anyway. (laughs) Um, um, So that was interesting for my undiagnosed mother to try and read because she's got dyslexia as well. Uh, The two of us trying to work out what it was saying, but it was recommended that I try reading off different coloured paper. Mm -hmm. And this is very common for people with diagnosed dyslexia. So I trialed green, lilac, blue, pink, like a rose pink, and then a very bright yellow, one matching the blazer that I'm sure people see me in everywhere. I always have yellow in an outfit. I put yellow as one of the main colors of my business. Like it's a color that 
not only brings me joy, but it's what has enabled me to be able to do what I'm doing today. Once you put a piece of work on yellow paper for me, changes everything. The words stop moving. I could read a fluent sentence. I remember tears and I'm not going to get emotional on this podcast. It's a very emotional topic for me. Mm. But I remember tears falling onto the piece of paper the first time I read on yellow because I was able to read the sentence from beginning to end without stuttering, without getting cold sweats, because I used to find reading very, very nerve wracking. I'm sure. And I was able to do it correctly, which is like insane. So those are the support mechanisms. And then the school followed that up with... Um, something called neuro-linguistic programming. So I had an NLP coach, that's the short for it, um, for four years. And I had one-to-one mindfulness. And I also had counselling because there's a lot of trauma that comes with being an undiagnosed dyslexic. Mm. I was bullied really badly. I had really low self-confidence. I developed crippling anxiety, which then manifested and still manifests in the form of IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. So there was a lot going on. And I was a teenager and being a teenager is hard. Um, it is. Yeah. And so neuro-linguistic programming is, is a form of therapy. Some people think it's like where you get hypnotized and you feel like that in the sessions, but you do, it, it's how you like, they use lang- certain language patterns. The mm. coach will use certain language patterns to change the way you think and perceive yourself. And the mental support I was given was crucial. I think that was almost more important than, you know, the yellow paper and the speed reading and learning how to, you know, write properly again. Mm. So yeah, that those were the support mechanisms. And that's expensive. You know, you, I recognize that this level of support is a huge privilege. Mm. I don't take that for granted. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of going to be my next question. Like you're the first to say that that was a massive privilege for you. So how has that kind of affected the way that you've then developed your business? Because I know that you are very focused on providing education to communities that might be more underserved because, you know, you've you've seen it on both sides almost. Well, the first thing for me is that I am always, I'm almost hyper aware of whether a child or a young person is neurodivergent. Mm. Because I am neurodivergent myself, it's almost like you gravitate towards other neurodivergent people. And I tend to work with people that would go a lifetime without knowing. And so we obviously provide online tuition at Enrich Learning and we have our own amazing platform that we use and it's all been made with neurodivergence at the core of it making it much easier for young people parents children to use the platform um it also means that i've built up a network of educational psychologists and occupational therapists that i can just pick up the phone and say can can i get an assessment arranged for x child but again these things still come at an expense i can provide the the education side at a more affordable rate because that's what I set out to do but when you have a dyslexia assessment or any kind of neurodivergent assessment these things take hours the person the therapist psychologist then has to go and spend hours writing up the report so it's very expensive and I think Mm -hmm. what we need to do is as a community and as a society is think of how we can make it more affordable yeah definitely I mean 
that makes a lot of sense, as you say, that if there are only certain people who are qualified to make those diagnoses and there's only so many of those people and it takes them so much time. I mean, yeah, it's one of those things where you understand why it costs money, but then that's where it comes to being more of, you know, like a postcode lottery, basically. So you said, you know, where you were from in North London, they just didn't have the budget to pay for those specialists, whereas somewhere else might do. Exactly. And it this shouldn't be the case because one in seven adults in the UK are neurodivergent. Like, that's a significant proportion of our society. 10% of the adult population in Britain are dyslexic. Um, what I find interesting about these stats is that these are 10% of the people that have had the privilege to get diagnosed. I think there's a percentage is much higher, actually. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I actually haven't spoken about this before um, publicly, but I um, have an ADHD diagnosis, which I only had quite recently. Um, and I'm 31. And yeah, it's made a lot of things kind of make sense for me so that I mean that's not exactly what we're what we're talking about today but but just to kind of relate to what you were saying about you know it's there's a lot of mental effects that can come about in terms of you know having quite low self-esteem because there's just parts of yourself that you haven't understood for a long time and not having that diagnosis can be quite harmful in of in and of itself I think so I get where you're coming from in that respect I mean, first of all, I want to say, it might, it might be a bit weird, but I do want to say congratulations on getting your diagnosis Thank regarding you. ADHD. Um, I know it's not easy when you're first diagnosed with anything within the neurodivergence world, but it's something that I hope you grow to be really proud of. Um, it will make life a lot easier, especially because neurodivergence is so much harder to pick up in women. We mask so many things. Definitely. Um, and that's one of the things I really struggled with. I felt that there is a need to constantly mask who I am, especially because I am a black woman. And in the black community, neurodivergence is almost a taboo it's not spoken about. Mm. Um, and as someone who is often working with parents with children that are undiagnosed neurodivergent people, I am always having to kind of break the glass ceiling and have very difficult conversations. And parents, a lot of the time, do not want to accept the fact that their child is neurodivergent. Mm. It's almost something that they are ashamed of and that's just to do with a lack of education in the space and in the community so yeah I think that for you your recent diagnosis I know we're not here to talk about that today but it's going to open so many doors and I hope you feel free in who you are because I started to feel very free in who I am after the age of 16 Mm. I re I was re I became really comfortable with it. It's five years post-diagnosis. I have five years of really, really excellent quality support. I was ready to take on the world, um, even at 16 years old. In fact, I would say that it started 
or it, you know, I started to get more comfortable with me and who I am from the age of 12, because that's when I started my business. Yeah. Uh, which is crazy. Well, this is the thing. So we are obviously now talking about your business. And I've kind of said in terms of the services that you're providing to other people. But for you as a dyslexic woman, who runs that business and actually has been running, running the business or an iteration of it since you were 12. How have you found the experience of being a business owner and in that half of yourself, if you like, um, uh, while being dyslexic? So this is where I say this is the blessing side of dyslexia, because when it comes to the strategy, everybody else in the room will be like, there isn't a problem. And I will be like, yes, there is. And here's the solution. Mm. So I was able to spot patterns and then, by spotting certain patterns or sport, spotting certain gaps, I was able to disrupt the industry even at the age of 12. I mean, by 18 years old, I was a major stakeholder in the tuition market in North London. Like I was taking other big companies, um, clients, which they didn't like very much, I'm but sure. I loved. <laughs> um, and it, it makes being creative like it just comes to me quite naturally mm. when you are starting a business. I'm sure that there'll be listeners who are thinking of becoming entrepreneurs or starting their entrepreneurial journey. One of the blessings of being dyslexic is I can use the graphic design software. I can do the financial models. I can write the copy for the website. I can put the business plan together. I can organize my tutors. I can have a billion tabs open in my brain at once. But then that's also where the pain of dyslexia comes because one of the things that dyslexic people really struggle with is organisation. Mm. And that goes without saying. And again, if I hadn't had that really excellent quality one-on-one time with the special educational needs expert when I was at school, I would be a mess total mess I mean when I started the school I got lost before every lesson I was forgetting my books so if there's anyone listening I stand in solidarity with you I know how it is I was leaving my pens everywhere it would take me literally 10 minutes to pack up my school bag so I would start packing up 10 minutes before the end of the lesson because I knew like I had this weird bag packing ritual it takes me ages to leave anywhere all my friends know this um so you know those were some of the challenges now try and put that into running a business when you're Mm. starting and you're doing everything by yourself because that's the most cost-effective thing to do and that's hard you know yeah. you do forget things and you get really overwhelmed and so you have to have coping mechanisms to make sure that you know you don't fall off the wagon and I think perhaps we should start talking about how neurodivergent people or dyslexic people manage in the workplace as an adult and you know like how I was able to thrive and not just survive because I'm not sure if you've had the same thing with your ADHD, but there is an element of just survival, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I maybe I'll I'll talk about this more at some point, I'm sure. But I feel like yeah, there is it is just it feels like suddenly understanding a part of your brain that you didn't understand why it just wasn't why you couldn't just do what everybody else does. So so there's definitely an element of that for me. Um I will um 
read for the benefit of the tape. Um, we're talking about neurodiversity and neurodivergent people now, which if you're not sure what that means, the internet has informed me that that covers the spectrum of autistic spectrum conditions, ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, and dyscalculia, which I don't know if I pronounced that right or not. But yeah, so we're, we're talking a lot about dyslexia today because that is your experience. But I know that you now advocate quite generally for um, kind of equity and inclusion of neurodivergence in the workplace. What does that look like for you in your work? So one of the beauties of being dyslexic is I have what I have now called a portfolio career. So I'm an entrepreneur first and my business is my baby. Um, gosh, I mean, she doesn't say that. That makes me sound really weird. I do have a life outside of it, I promise. Um, but I'm also an author and a published one too. Congratulations. So Thank you so much. And I'm, I'm sure you guys can already hear the happiness in my voice because I was told that I would never be able to write properly. So to have written a book which is being published by now an award-winning um, publishing house is amazing. Um, I'm also a thought leader and create content um, for LinkedIn about my different thoughts about equity, diversity, inclusion, dyslexia and neurodivergence and I talk a little bit about sleep and wellness too because I think we are the most sleep deprived nation um, and then I'm also a factual tv presenter and I do lots of content creation and I have the privilege of talking to amazing people like you Gemma so um, I'm involved in many different workplaces and my job takes me into kind of startup entrepreneurial settings right through to corporate right through to media and so what does neurodiversity kind of inclusion in the workplace look like mm -hmm. for me? The, the first thing is awareness. I am so pleased that we are finally, finally talking about neurodiversity. I've got some fun facts for you. Oh, I love a fun fact. Hit me. <laughs> the first one is that neurodiversity reached an all-time high in the Google search engine with the term dyslexia being a breakout term so it's increased in kind of search by 5000%. Wow. Um which is huge, right? Like people are now starting to ask what is it and why is it important? Um in terms of neurodiversity in the workplace, we're seeing big organizations actually advocate for having neurodivergent people as part of their workforce. Mm. Now, before that was something that was a hindrance. And for some organizations that, you know, are taking a bit of time to jump on board and, and be more inclusive, it, it is uh, still a hindrance. But for many organizations, they want us now. So um, JCHQ said that they are looking for people with dyslexia because we've got crucial skills, spotting patterns that other people often refer to as neurotypical people. Um, so that's people that don't have a learning difference. Um, they miss these things. So a dyslexic spy will be able to spot patterns that a not dyslexic spy would not be able to just because of how we're wired. I feel like that could so easily be a TV show. <laughs> exactly. BBC, are you listening? Like I could happily present that for you. But um, yeah, I, I, 
I'm starting to finally see that not only are they including us or inviting us to the dinner party, mm. they are having us at the table. And they're not just having us at the table, they're letting us lead from the front. That is so important when you're neurodivergent because you will have gone through your childhood, your teens, your early adult years, like just feeling bottom of the barrel, to be quite honest. Um, It's likely that you've been horrendously bullied too, and that doesn't help. So to see that the workplace is now not just including us, but championing us and praising us, that's amazing. That is great. And I mean, I feel like for me, I have known the term dyslexia for example for as long as I can remember really I feel like it's one of those things you hear it talked about in primary school probably at some point and then it only really comes into focus when you know people affected by it so I think as you're saying where workplaces are kind of and and with all all the Google searches that the rest of us, you know, are are putting more focus onto this. So it doesn't have to be an outlier that we're only aware of when we know someone personally who struggles or has been diagnosed or or all of the above, you know. I know one of the things that you talk about quite a lot is the role of technology and especially in in workplaces and how that can make things better for dyslexic people for example in their workplaces what are the things that companies or jobs or you know education environments can be doing to be more inclusive and more equitable so one of the first things is making sure that as a company a business association whatever a workplace wants to call itself making sure that they are using technology that can be adaptive or technology with built-in features that are a benefit to neurodivergent people. Mm -hmm. So obviously I work a lot for myself and I have various clients. I have so many devices, um, as I explained to you just before we started chatting, I have a Google Pixel 6, which at the moment is my favorite device because on the notes setting, I can change the color of the notes page to yellow. So I can, you know, write out my notes on there and it's not... Interesting. I know, right? It's not a nightmare. It's not flying all over the place. Um, I can dictate to it really, really well. Now I need to be careful not to say Google too much. Otherwise, it's going to start talking at us and start interrupting this conversation, but I can dictate um, my messages. And as a dyslexic person, I cannot tell you what a blessing that is. It means I've got less spelling mistakes in my emails. So I've got less people trying to correct me when they email me back. I'm not saying don't correct dyslexic people who spell incorrectly, but please be sensitive when you're doing it or just leave it alone. Like if I spell... Mm online incorrectly you got my vibe right so just don't mention it again because <laughs> that that's not helping me that's making me even more self-conscious of the issue I have a Chromebook and I wrote my book on a Chromebook specifically because of the built-in speech reader or text reader rather so when I was writing it I love writing strangely it's not something I hate and it's one of 
my core skills Mm. but again I've got a device that can read back to me what I've written so it helps me pick up the mistakes that I genuinely didn't see that's one way in which a company can use tech is having the right devices so give your employees a Google Pixel 6 phone. If, if, if they need to have a phone for work, I see companies have this all the time, this policy that everyone's got to have a work phone. Give them a Pixel 6 because it's got all the features so far that I've come across. I'm still on the hunt for something better if that exists, but right now it's been the best thing I've used. It, people who are neurotypical can learn something new about it and they might like the fact that it's got a really good um, dictation feature so they can read out their message and it's typed they might like the fact that they can change the color of the notes but the person who you're really making a difference to is the neurodivergent person get work laptops that are able to read back people's work without it being too much of a technical challenge Mm -hmm. because i have this gift of being able to use tech really proficiently um but not everybody is in that position um so yeah those are just some of the things that people can do is making sure that the devices that are being used are devices that are actually going to be helpful for people from the neurodivergent community yeah so it's I mean it sounds like even aside from you know specific products or you know not everybody would have a work phone for example but it sounds like almost just taking the time to consider whether somebody might need that sort of thing is is kind of half the battle, I assume, in sort of actually making progress towards it. Because obviously workplaces are very different. So what you would need in each place wouldn't be exactly the same thing. But I guess, yeah, just in terms of actually turning our attention and realising that different people might have different needs for things that you might take for granted, like text messages. Exactly. And one of the things I really advocate for whilst running Enriched Learning, which is the business, is I actually also advocate for taking time away from tech. So other ways you can help neurodivergent people in the workplace is offering rest breaks. Um, I cannot sit down for more than an hour and a half I start to get an itchy bottom. Like not not because there's anything wrong, but it's just because I can't focus anymore. Um, And I've got like what we call sometimes, I call it dyslexia brain fog. So I'll be reading something, but I genuinely, I just can't see. It's just a block of text. Usually it just looks like a block of a black square effectively. Mm. And all it takes to kind of alleviate that is give me five minutes to take a walk around the office, for example. That's super helpful, but a lot of workplaces at the moment, you know, you've got the morning, your lunch break, and that's it. You know, if you're able to stand up and make a cup of tea halfway through, then that's fine. And the same thing goes for school and university, Mm. um, because I know that there'll be listeners who aren't quite at the workplace yet. I was very fortunate, again, at school to have brilliant staff who arranged for me to have rest breaks in my exams. So I would often stand up, you know, after an hour. It wasn't affecting my examination time. That time I was paused. I could take five to 10 minutes to just take a breather and then come back out, come back and sit down and carry on. Same thing happened at university, which was like super, super helpful and meant that I could really thrive and and 
be the best that I can be. Um, and so these are just tips. It, you know, there are simple things that we can do, such as the rest breaks that make a huge difference to people. I have friends with ADHD that really need those rest breaks because if you think I, you know, get a bit fidgety for them, you know, it's, it's not enough to just give them a fidget spinner. It's just not like they need to have a moment to let off some steam and then they can come back and really perform to the best of their ability. Yeah, absolutely. So you spend a lot of time focused on workplaces and helping to educate people that way. But you've also done work that's very different from that. For example, writing a book is very different to working in an office that might have to be more accessible. How was that experience? Well, the first thing is I had to really learn to get organised and my poor editor had to push so many deadlines. It was unreal. Um, But the amazing thing about being able to write the book is the confidence it gave me. Dyslexia is a learning difference that affects your reading, your writing, your spelling. Now, Gemma, what do you think you need to be able to do to write a book? Well, I would have said read, write and spell. Exactly. So I started from a place of complete disbelief. Uh, Actually, I got the book deal through a DM on Instagram. So social media is one of my favourite things. I know that there's a lot that we need to work on when it comes to social media in terms of making it Um, a safer space, especially for women. But there are also some great things about it too. So I was spotted because for a short period of time, I had a YouTube channel um, and I made a video called Dyslexia and Me where I was enraged about the fact that the only examples I was given about being dyslexic um, was Jamie Oliver and Albert Einstein. And like, Jamie Oliver, I've got nothing against the guy. Albert Einstein, he's dead. Oh, and another one was Richard Branson, which as much as I am now a thriving entrepreneur at the time, I couldn't see me in like a middle-aged forward slash old white man. I'm a black woman. And there were no examples of that. And so being given the opportunity to write the book from my perspective and what it's like in my community is the most empowering thing I've ever done. And I wrote it from a place of passion and purpose just to be able to make other people believe. And the thing about dyslexia for me and for any neurodivergent person who's listening to this today, I don't want them to listen to this and think, I really want to be like Aninye. It's not about me. It's about you as the listener right now. So I'm speaking to all the listeners directly. It's about making sure that you believe you can be the very best version of yourself. So for me, the best version of me was being able to write that book with no help. There was no ghost writer. It was me in the Waterloo WeWork sometimes at 1am staring at Waterloo yeah. Bridge, which is a beautiful view at that time, um, and trying to get what I wanted to say about dyslexia in a way that my community would thoroughly understand it because I'm writing it for them and the wider world and neurotypicals to understand what it's like to live in our shoes. And the process of that was very painful. There were a lot of tears at times, but it was the most rewarding thing. And so if anyone today is dyslexic and is thinking of writing something, absolutely go for it. And my other tip is, 
remember that you write every day. If you tweet, if you post on Instagram, if you make a TikTok, if you send a WhatsApp message, all of those things require you to write. doesn't matter what standard, you've, you've at least done some form mm-hmm. of writing. And so that should like give you a bit of encouragement to you know, grow it, take it to the next stage, maybe turn it into a blog and, and, and go from there. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Every week, my guest and I will be answering your questions, and the first one comes in from Lucy. Lucy says, I'm dyslexic, and people often tell me that I think creatively or differently because of my dyslexia. It's with good intention when they say it. However, I can't help feel sometimes deflated, as I often struggle with the concept that things that make me different are just because I'm dyslexic, not because that's just who I am. Do you link your certain perks to your dyslexia or think of them as separate things about your personality? So you kind of hinted about this already, but I guess what Lucy's saying is, is it okay for people to always link those things? Thanks so much for your question, Lucy. She asked a very good one. I am not who I am just because of my dyslexia. I am who I am because I'm an Inye Udaporo and I'm fantastic. Woo! And I make a point. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) I, um... I make a point of making people aware that my excellence and my greatness isn't just because of my dyslexia. It is partly a reason, um, and I stamp it out immediately. So, Lucy, if you're not comfortable with that, you will find a way with time um, to like let people know that you're great, not just be- or and you're creative and you think differently, not just because you are dyslexic, but because of other reasons. So I'll give you an example using myself to help you kind of figure out how you can convey that message to others. I am great because when I see greatness and I see creativity and I see the world differently because I've had the privilege of being in varying different situations. So my life started in a very underserved part of North London um my family and I for a period of time lived in a tiny flat uh with not much at all and so I saw what it was like to really struggle and really sacrifice and then using my academic ability as an undiagnosed dyslexic so at the time dyslexia had nothing to do with it I was able to um you know 
get a great scholarship to a brilliant school in West Sussex. And I was able to see what privilege is like. And then I could connect the dots and see that actually the disparity we have in the country in terms of wealth is ridiculous. It's not okay. And I need to do something to give back to not just my community, but every other community. And I'm going to use education as a tool. My dyslexia helped me kind of spot the gap, but that's not the only thing. My experiences in different environments and with different people comes before that, I think. So it's just kind of making people aware of your lived experience and your story. Your lived experience is more than just the the fact that you're dyslexic. And, And that's, I guess, the con of it being like the trending topic at the moment is that everything will and everyone will point it back to that. But it doesn't have to be the only reason you're fantastic. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree more. Next question is from Vlada, who says, as a teacher of a foreign language, how can I facilitate learning for my adult students with dyslexia? This is a really good question. And I am quite good at languages. Uh, my parents speak Ibo, which is a Nigerian language at home. And I did fairly well at, in French. I think I got an A at GCSE, which is good, I guess. Um, and I take an interest in languages one of the ways you can help your students with languages is using different forms of media when you're teaching them. So for me, what helped me when I was learning French at school was the French movies that we watched. Strangely, not the textbook, not reading loads of vocab lists and trying to cram all the vocab. It was with watching the language being spoken and being used in every day with the subtitles on so I could hear how it sounds match it with what it looks like on the screen that was one of the biggest ways and I guess for an adult um, that's a really good way for them to learn and watch a couple of good French films or whatever language you you speak. Another way in which you can help your students when learning a language is allow for extra time really spend enough time focusing on making them aware of how a word sounds and how it looks. If you are a native English speaker and you're learning a different language, one of the things you'll quickly spot is that in other languages, almost nothing sounds like how it looks, Um, which for a dyslexic person is a nightmare. So creating exercises that do the two um, and like helping the the person you're teaching recognize that they can learn the language every day using apps um, on a phone is really useful because I was speaking personally, and I think a lot of other dyslexic people would agree, little and often is much better for us than sitting down and trying to do like two hours at a time. So yeah, I've given loads of advice there. I hope it's not information overload. No, that's that was great. That's I mean, I didn't I threw a very specific question at you there and you did excellently. I think it's it's a nice point, I think, as well, to speaking about dyslexia, I feel like it's it's one of those things where it, it, it is a spectrum. So there will be people who are more severely affected by dyslexia and people less it's very much one of those things that can be very different. But I know like a friend of mine um who I used to live with at uni she was at uni and she was doing a dual language degree she was doing French which she'd spoken before at school and uh Russian which she was starting to learn from the beginning and only found out when she got to university that she was dyslexic and they then diagnosed her which I always thought was just another one of those things that just goes to show 
you know, you, you would think that doing like multiple languages at university level would be not something that would be particularly compatible with dyslexia. But like she did great. And it's one of those things I think it's it's nice to to think about in the context of language learning. So I appreciate that question as well. Thank you, Blada. And what an amazing friend you have. Genius. She's brill. Love her. Last question is from Laura, who says, neurodivergent with ADHD, who works as an emergency doctor here. I had a late in life diagnosis. What are your attitudes on medicating to achieve brain states more like neurotypical people versus selecting careers or workplaces that allow for neurodiversity? This is a controversial question, but I love controversial things. So let's get into it. Um, Thanks for the question. Personally, it's not that I don't like pharmaceutical things, but wellness is a big part of what I write about and talk about. And for me, staying well, I wouldn't want to take any medication if I didn't have to. And this is where seeking medical Mm. professional advice is so important. If from a medical point of view, it makes sense for a neurodivergent person to take medication because it will make living for them easier and it will improve their wellness, please take the medication. Because I'm always cautious of saying that I personally don't like to take meds unless I have to. If a doctor, a qualified doctor said to me, look, Aninye, it's getting to the point where your neurodivergence is affecting your quality of life and it will hugely benefit you and increase your quality of life if you take these tablets. These are the side effects and I'm made aware of them and there are plans put in place to mitigate what those side effects might be, then please take it. On the flip side, if I don't have to take medication or the sole purpose of taking medication is to suppress who I am, because as far as I'm concerned, neurodivergence is part of who I am. So if it's got nothing to do with improving my quality of life, then I would much prefer to work in a place that caters to me, that wants me. Guys, I just talked about how they want more spies that are neurodivergent. I think being a spy would be pretty cool. Um, I know that the world's most successful entrepreneurs are dyslexic. I know that um, some of the very best teachers are neurodivergent because they can pick up on other neurodivergent young people and children in the room and can provide them with not just the, you know, academic support, but also the mental, moral, emotional support that is so important. So if it's taking medication to suppress the things that would make me a brilliant citizen and enable me to give back to the world in a way that works best for me and for the world, then no. If it's going to improve my quality of life and I've sought medical advice that has given me guidance on how I'm going to take the medication, absolutely, it's a no-brainer, please take it. So it really just depends on the situation that you're in. Yeah, I mean, that was it was very much a, a question of, you know, what what do you think about this, which I which I like as well. And I think I would be on the same page as you, I think very much, you know, if it's going to be something that is going to benefit you as an individual and actually improve your quality of life, then great. 
if it's the idea of just trying to make everyone's brains the same for the sake of them being the same, then agreed, I would be completely against that. If you want to know about opportunities to send in questions for upcoming guests, then follow us on Instagram or Twitter at goodinfluencegs, and you can email me at goodinfluencepod at gmail.com. Before you go, I've got three things I ask every guest, and that's if listeners want to find out more about what we've been talking about today. Could you please recommend us something to read, something to listen to, and something to watch? Okay, so... My first recommendation on what to read is obviously going to be my book called Dyslexia and Me. No one has known the title until this point. So this is a... Exclusive, Claxon. Oh, I don't think we've Um, ever had an exclusive on the podcast before. (laughs) Love that. Um, But aside from that, other things that people can read and a massive resource for me when I was starting my journey with dyslexia and even now is the British Dyslexia Association website. Um, If you literally Google BDA, you'll find it. And on this website is resources for how to cope with dyslexia, um, information about what dyslexia is, how to support as a parent, support for teens, support for people at university. And if you're like really into research and you're writing about it, then there are brilliant reports on what dyslexia um, or or how dyslexia affects people. They did an excellent report on dyslexia and COVID and how people with dyslexia really struggled because we, I mean, we struggled to read already. I had a thousand emails at points, like I just, Mm. I couldn't. Um, And so that's an excellent resource in terms of reading. What to listen to, um, dyslexia and neurodivergence, I would say is a an emerging thing like that people are only just talking about. You know, earlier in the podcast, I mentioned that it, it's been one of the breakthrough kind of search terms on Google. So, you know, people are only just discovering it. Therefore, people are only just making content. So if you're listening to this podcast... That's an excellent first step. Um, But other people to listen to if you are interested in neurodivergence more widely is an amazing woman called Professor Amanda Kirby. She is just like a walking encyclopedia on all things neurodiversity. And she posts, you should give her a follow on Twitter because she posts these infographics about not just dyslexia, but different um, neurodivergent differences Mm -hmm. that people have and tips and tricks on how to like maximize your potential and thrive in this life. And then what to watch. Oh, it's an interesting one. I have a friend, um, her name is Ellie and she goes by Unmasked Ellie uh, on Instagram and you can find her on LinkedIn as well and she makes these brilliant short videos um, all about living with ADHD so she was diagnosed as an adult quite recently and her videos are just so insightful um, and then gosh I don't want this to sound like really full of myself but watch me because I'm always making yeah. content about this stuff um, and I really hope that if I get a chance to talk to Gemma again 
that I'll be able to give you even more recommendations because it won't just be an emerging topic. It will be something that society is really wised up to and yeah, just getting more involved with it. Thank you for listening and thank you Anunye for joining me. If you enjoyed the episode, I'd love you to subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you're using. And if you've got an extra minute, you can leave a rating and a review as well. Your reviews make a big difference and help other people find the podcast. See you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.